Chapter Twelve of the Millionaire Baby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Millionaire Baby by Anna K. Green. Chapter Twelve. Behind the Wall. A most pathetic and awesome story! I exclaimed, after the pause which instinctively followed the completion of this tale, read as few of its kind had ever been read, by this woman of infinite resources in feeling and expression. Is it not? Do you wonder that a visit in the dead of night to a spot associated with such superstitious horrors should frighten me? She added as she bundled up the scattered sheets with a reckless hand. I do not. I am not sure but that I am a bit frightened myself, I smiled, following with my eye a single sheet which had escaped to the floor. Allow me, I cried, stooping to lift it. As I did so, I observed that it was the first sheet, the torn one, and that a line or so of writing was visible at the top, which I was sure had not been amongst those she read. What words are those? I asked. I don't know. They are half gone, as you can see. They have nothing to do with the story. I read you the whole of that. Mistress as she was of her moods and expressions, I detected traces of some slight confusion. The putting up of the partition is not explained, I remarked. Oh, that was put up in horror of the stains which from time to time broke out on the ceiling at that end of the room. I wished to ask her if this was her conclusion, or if that line or two I had mentioned was more intelligible than she acknowledged it to be, but I refrained from a sense of propriety. If she appreciated my forbearance, she did not show it. Rising, she thrust the papers into a cupboard, casting a scarcely perceptible glance at the clock as she did so. I took the hint and rose. Instantly she was all smiles. You have forgotten something, Mr. Trevitt. Surely you did not intend to carry away with you my key to the bungalow. I was thinking of it, I returned lightly. I am not quite through with that key. Then, before she could recover from her surprise, I added with such suavity as I had been able to acquire in my intercourse with my more cultivated clients. I have to thank you, Mrs. Carew, for an hour of thrilling interest. Absorbed though I am in the present mystery, my mind has room for one old one. Possibly because there is sometimes a marked connection between old family events and new. There may be some such connection in this case. I should like the opportunity of assuring myself there is not. She said nothing. I thought I understood why. More suavely yet, I continued with a slight, a very slight movement toward the door. Rarely have I had the pleasure of listening to such a tale read by such an interpreter. It will always remain in my memory, Mrs. Carew. But the episode is over, and I return to my present duty and the bungalow. The bungalow? You are going back to the bungalow? Immediately. What for? Didn't you see all there was to see? Not quite. I don't know what there can be left. Nothing of consequence, most likely, but you cannot wish me to have any doubts on the subject. No, no, of course not. The carelessness of her tone did not communicate itself to her manner. Seeing that my unexpected proposition had roused her alarm, I grew wary and remarked, I was always over scrupulous. 
With a lift of her shoulders, a dainty gesture which I congratulated myself, I could see unmoved. She held out her hand in mute appeal for the key, but seeing that I was not to be shaken in my purpose, reached for the wrap she had tossed over a chair and tied it again over her head. "'What are you going to do?' I asked. "'Accompany you,' she declared. "'Again? I thought the place frightened you.' "'It does,' she replied. "'I had rather visit any other spot on the whole world. "'But if it is your intention to go back there, it is mine to go with you.' "'You are very good,' I replied. "'But I was seriously disconcerted, notwithstanding. "'I had reckoned upon a quiet hour in the bungalow by myself. "'Moreover,' I did not understand her motive for never trusting me there alone. Yet, as this very distrust was suggestive, I put a good face on the matter and welcomed her company with becoming alacrity. After all, I might gain more than I could possibly lose by having her under my eye for a while longer. Strong as was her self-control, there were moments when the real woman showed herself, and these moments were productive. As we were passing out, she paused to extinguish a lamp, which was slightly smoking. I also thought she paused to listen an instant. At all events, her ears were turned toward the stairs, down which there came the murmur of two voices, one of them the little boys. "'It is time Harry was asleep,' she cried. "'I promised to sing to him. "'You won't be long, will you?' "'You need not be very long,' was my significant retort. I cannot speak for myself. Was I playing with her curiosity or anxieties or whatever it was that affected her? I hardly knew. I spoke as impulse directed and waited in cold blood, or was it hot blood, to see how she took it. Carelessly enough, for she was a famous actress except when taken by surprise. Checking an evident desire of calling out some direction up the stairs, she followed me to the door, remarking cheerfully, "'You cannot be very long either. The place is not large enough.' My excuse, or rather the one I made to myself for thus returning to a place I had seemingly exhausted, was this. In the quick turn I had made in leaving on the former occasion, my foot had struck the edge of the large rug nailed over the center of the floor, and unaccountably loosened it. To rectify this mishap, and also to see how so slight a shock could have lifted the large brass nails by which it had been held down to the floor, seemed reason enough for my action. But how to draw her attention to so insignificant a fact, without incurring her ridicule, I could not decide in our brief passage back to the bungalow, and consequently was greatly relieved when, upon opening the door, in turning my lantern on the scene, I discovered that in our absence the rug had torn itself further free from the floor, and now lay with one of its corners well curled over, the corner farthest from the door and nearest the divan, where little Gwendolen had been lying when she was lifted and carried away. Where? Mrs. Carew saw it, too, and cast me a startled look, which I met with a smile possibly as ambiguous as the feeling which prompted it. "'Who has been here?' she asked. "'Ourselves. Did we do that?' "'I did, or rather my foot struck the edge of the rug as I turned to go out with you. Shall I replace it and press back the nails?' "'If you will be so good.' Do what she would, there was eagerness in her tone. 
Remarking this, I decided to give another and closer look at the floor and the nails. I found the latter had not been properly inserted, or, rather, there were two indentions for each nail, a deep one and a quite shallow. This caused me to make some examinations of the others, those which had not been drawn up from the floor, and I found that one or two of them were equally insecure, but not all, only those about this one corner. Mrs. Carew, who had paused, confused and faltering in the doorway, in her dismay at seeing me engaging in this inspection, instead of replacing the rug as I had proposed, now advanced a step, so that our glances met as I looked up with the remark, "'This rug seems to have been lately raised at this corner. Do you know if the police had it up?' "'I don't. I believe so.' "'Oh, Mr. Trevitt!' she cried, as I rose to my feet with the corner of the rug in my hand. "'What are you going to do?' She had run forward impetuously, and was now standing very close beside me, inconveniently close. "'I am going to raise this rug,' I informed her. "'That is, just at this corner. "'Pardon me, I shall have to ask you to move.' "'Certainly, of course,' she stammered. "'Oh, what is going to happen now?' "'Then, as she watched me, "'there is, there is something under it, "'a door in the floor. "'Ah, uh, ah, uh, Mrs. O'Cumpa never told me of this.' "'Do you suppose she knew it?' I inquired, "'looking up into her face, "'which was very near, but not near enough "'to be in the full light of the lantern, "'which was pointed another way.' "'This rug appears to have been almost sluttered to the floor, everywhere but here. "'There! It is thrown back. "'Now, if you will be so very good as to hold the lantern, I will try and lift the door. "'I cannot. See how my hands shake? What are we about to discover? "'Nothing, I pray. Nothing. Suspense would be better than that.' "'I think you will be able to hold it,' I urged, pressing the lantern upon her.' "'Yes, I have never been devoid of courage. "'But, but don't ask me to descend with you,' she prayed as she lifted the lantern, "'and turned it dexterously enough on that portion of the door "'where a ring lay outlined in the depths of its outermost plank. "'I will not, but you will come just the same. "'You cannot help it,' I hazarded, "'as with the point of my knife-blade I lifted the small round of wood "'which filled into the ring and thus made the floor level.' "'Now if this door is not locked, we will have it up,' I cried, pulling at the ring with a will. The door was not locked, and it came up readily enough, discovering some half-dozen steps down which I immediately proceeded to climb. "'Oh, I cannot stay here alone,' she protested, and prepared to follow me in haste, just as I expected her to do the moment she saw the light withdrawn. "'Step carefully,' I enjoined if you will honor me with your hand. But she was at my side before the words were well out. What is it? What kind of place do you make it out to be? And is there anything here you, you do not want to see? I flashed the light around, and incidentally on her. She was not trembling now. Her cheeks were blazing red, and her eyes were blazing. She was looking at me, and not at the darksome place about her. But, as this was natural, 
it being a woman's way to look for what she desires to learn in the face of the man, who was at the moment her protector. I shifted the light into the nooks and corners of the low, damp cellar in which we now found ourselves. Bins for wine and beer, I observed, but nothing in them. Then, as I measured the space before me with my eye, it runs under the whole of the house. See, it is much larger than the room above. Yes, she mechanically repeated. I lowered the lantern to the floor, but quickly raised it again. What is that on the other side? I queried. I am sure there is a break in the wall, over in that corner. I cannot see, she gasped. Certainly she was very much frightened. Are you going to cross the floor? Yes, and if you do not wish to follow me, sit down on those steps. No, I will go where you go, but this is very fearful. Why, what is the matter? I had stepped aside in order to avoid a trail of footprints I saw, extending across the cellar floor. Come around this way, I urged. If you will follow me, I will keep you from being too much frightened. She did as I told her. Softly her steps fell in behind mine, and thus with wary tread and peering eyes we made our way to the remote end, where we found, or rather where I found, that the break which I had noticed in the uniformity of the wall was occasioned by a pile of old boxes, arranged so as to make steps up to a hole cut through the floor above. With a sharp movement I wheeled upon her, "'Do you see that?' I asked, pointing back over my shoulder. "'Steps!' she cried, "'going up into that part of the building where—where—' where... "'Will you attempt them with me, or will you stay here in the darkness?' "'I will stay here.' It was said with a shortened breath, but she seemed less frightened than when we started across the cellar. At all events a fine look of daring had displaced the tremulous aspect— which had so changed the character of her countenance a few minutes before. "'I will make short work of it,' I assured her, as I hastily ran up the steps. "'Drop your face into your hands, and you will not be conscious of the darkness. Besides, I will talk to you all the time. There, I have worked my way up through the hole. I have placed my lantern on the floor, above, and I see—' "'What? Are you coming?' "'Yes, I am coming.' Indeed, she was close behind me, maintaining her footing on the toppling boxes by a grip on my disengaged arm. "'Can you see?' I asked. "'Wait, let me pull you up. We might as well stand on the floor as on these boxes.' Climbing into the room above, I offered her my hand, and in another moment we stood together in the noisome precincts of that abominable spot, with whose doleful story she had just made me acquainted.' A square of impenetrable gloom confronted me at first glance. What might not be the result of a second? I turned to consult the appearance of the lady beside me before I took this second look. Had she the strength to stand this ordeal? Was she much moved, or possibly more moved than myself? As a woman, and the intimate friend of the Ocumpas, she should be. But I could not perceive that she was. For some reason, once in view of this mysterious place, she was strangely, inexplicably, impassably calm. "'Can you bear it?' I queried. "'I must only end it quickly.' "'I will,' I replied, and I held out my lantern. "'I am not a superstitious man, 
but instinctively I looked up before I looked about me. I have no doubt that Mrs. Carew did the same. But no stains were to be seen on those blackened boards now, or rather they were dark with one continuous stain, and next moment I examined with eager scrutiny the place itself. Accustomed to the appearance of the cheerful and well-furnished room on the other side of the partition, it was a shock to me, I will not say what it was to her, to meet the bare decaying walls and mouldering of this dismal hole. True, we had just come from a description of the place in all the neglect of its many years of desolation, yet the smart finish of the open portion we had just left poorly prepared us for what we here encountered. But the first impression over, an impression which was to recur to me many a night afterward in dreams, I remembered the near and more imperative cause which had drawn us thither, and turning the light into each and every corner, I looked eagerly for what I so much dreaded to find. A couch to which some old cushions still clung stood against the far wall. Thank God it was empty. So were all the corners of the room. Nothing living and nothing dead. Turning quickly upon Mrs. Carew, I made haste to assure her that our fears were quite unfounded. But she was not even looking my way. Her eyes were on the ground, and she seemed merely waiting, in some impatience evidently, but merely waiting for me to finish and be gone. This was certainly odd, for the place was calculated in itself to rouse curiosity, especially in one who knew its story. A table, thick with dust and blurred with dampness, still gave tokens of bygone festivity, among which a bottle and some glasses stood conspicuous. Cards were there, too, dingy and green with mold, some on the tables, some on the floor, while the open lid of a small desk pushed up close to a bookshelf, full of books, still held a rusty pen, and the remnants of what looked like the mouldering sheets of unused paper. As for the rest, desolation, neglect, horror, but no child. The relief was enormous. It is a dreadful place, I exclaimed, but it might have been worse. Do you want to see things nearer? Shall we cross the floor? No, no, we have not found Gwendolen. Let us go. Oh, let us go! A thrill of feeling had crept into her voice. Who could wonder? Yet I was not ready to humor her very natural sensibilities by leaving so abruptly. The floor interested me. The cushions of that old couch interested me. The sawn boards surrounding the hole, indeed, many things interested me. We will go in a moment, I assured her. But first, cast your eyes along the floor. Don't you see that someone has preceded us here, and that not so very long ago? Someone with dainty feet and a skirt that fell on the ground, in short, a woman and a lady. I don't see, she faltered, very much frightened. Then quickly, show me, show me. I pointed out the marks in the heavy dust along the neglected floor. They were unmistakable. Oh, she cried, what it is to be a detective. But who could have been here? Who would want to be here? 
I think it is horrible myself, and if I were alone I should faint from terror and the close air. We will not remain much longer, I assured her, going straight to the couch. I do not like it either, but... What have you found now? Her voice seemed to come from a great distance behind me. Was this on account of the state of her nerves or mine? I am willing to think the latter, for at that moment my eye took in two unexpected details. A dent as of a child's head in one of the mangy sofa pillows, and a crushed bit of colored sugar, which must once have been a bit of choice confectionery. "'Someone besides a lady has been here,' I decided, pointing to the one and bringing back the other. "'See, this bit of candy is quite fresh. You must acknowledge that.' This was not walled up years ago with the rest of the things we see about us. Her eyes stared at the sugary morsel I held out toward her in my open palm. Then she made a sudden rush, which took her to the side of the couch. "'Gwendolen, here?' she moaned. "'Gwendolen, here?' "'Yes,' I began. "'Do not—' But she had already left the spot and was backing toward the opening up which we had come. As she met my eye, she made a quick turn and plunged below. "'I must have air,' she gasped. With a glance at the floor over which she had so rapidly passed, I hastily followed her, smiling grimly to myself. Intentionally or unintentionally, she had by this quick passage to and fro, effectually confused, if not entirely obliterated, those evidences of a former intrusion which, with misguided judgment, I had just pointed out to her. But recalling the still more perfect line of footprints left below, to which I had not called her attention, I felt that I could afford to ignore the present mishap. As I reached the cellar bottom I called to her, for she was already halfway across. "'Did you notice where the boards have been sawed?' I asked. The sawdust is still on the floor, and it smells as fresh as if the saw had been at work there yesterday. No doubt, no doubt, she answered back over her shoulder, still hurrying on, so that I had to run lest she should attempt the steps in the utter darkness. When I reached the floor of the bungalow, she was in the open door, panting. I watched her with one eye. I drew back the trap into place and replaced the rug and the three nails I had loosened. Then I shut the slide of the lantern and joined her where she stood. "'Do you feel better?' I asked. It was a dismal quarter of an hour, but it was not a lost one. She drew the door to and locked it before she answered. Then it was with a question. "'What do you make of all this, Mr. Trevitt?' I replied as directly as the circumstances demanded. "'Madam, it is a startling answer to the question you put me.' before we first left your house. You asked then if the child in the wagon was Gwendolen. How could it have been she, with this evidence before us, of her having been concealed here, at the very time that wagon was being driven away from— I do not think you have reason enough, she began, and stopped, and did not speak again until we halted at the foot of her own porch. Then, with the frank accent most in keeping with her general manner, however much I might distrust both accent and manner, she added as if no interval had intervened. If those signs you noted are proofs to you 
that Gwendolen was shut up in that walled-off portion of the bungalow while some were seeking her in the water and others in the wagon. Then where is she now? End of chapter 12